food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on this day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The word of the Lord. My name is Tim Keeney, and this is the New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty to 26. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until all his enemies have, put un- have been put under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Bobby Nicholas. Please stand for the gospel reading found in John twenty, nineteen through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, we've been journeying through... That season of Lent, and week after week as we talked about different things that we've been lamenting, loss and sadness and suffering and anguish and anxiety. I don't know if you've felt this, but maybe you've journeyed with us and feeling like, okay, will this ever end? And then if you were with us on Good Friday a few days ago, we ended the service with the the candles being lit and the whole room just being in candlelight. And listen to the seven last words of Jesus being read slowly. And, and then the candles were blown out. And the whole room, thousands of people, departed in silence and in darkness. And the whole drama that we've been reenacting is to help us understand. This is the moment. These are moments that are very familiar to us in life. Moments when we wonder, is this the end? Is this how it ends? Maybe when we're confronted by darkness in the world around us. Maybe because of tragedy. Maybe because of sorrow. Maybe because we're confronted with the darkness in our own hearts. And there's this question that keeps resurfacing in our minds and in our hearts. Is this it? Is this the end? Is this as good as it gets? Is this life at its best? Do we learn to acquiesce and accept it and say, okay, yeah, well, I guess. 
I guess it'll never really be different. I guess nothing will ever change. Is this the end? Are we just sort of left to ourselves to learn new techniques for behavior modification? New patterns to help us sort of make ourselves behave better? Is this it? Is this as good as it gets? Well, church, Lent doesn't end in Lent. Lent ends with this morning, Easter, the, the, the day where we say, you know what, the darkness that overshadowed the earth gave way, light broke through, death has been swallowed up by life itself, God raised Jesus from the dead. Amen? Amen. The phrase I want to echo around your hearts and your souls this morning is this phrase, this is not the end. This is not the end. This is not the end of it. This is not the last of it. In fact, it's really kind of a fun thing, but Lent itself is a fast that lasts for six weeks. Easter, did you know, is a feast that lasts seven weeks. You're like, seven weeks? i got to buy some more ham, you know? we got to keep this party going. I know! I mean, imagine, I mean, you could do something fun like that every Sunday for the next seven Sundays. Go out to eat after church, enjoy friends with you, keep throwing a party because the feast has outlasted the fast. Easter has come. This is not the end. We heard in our gospel reading this morning Jesus appearing in this room to the disciples and saying to them, Peace be with you. And he breathes on them. He says, receive the Spirit. And then he says, listen, now you can go announcing the forgiveness of sins. But you know, this little scene in John's Gospel is sandwiched around a couple of other stories. One of the stories, just a little bit earlier, is Mary. Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb. Coming early on this morning to the tomb and being so disoriented, maybe in shock from her own grief, but then, horror of horrors, she goes, and th- th- where's the body? Is this a case of someone stealing the body? Well, what's going on? And she turns around and she sees a man and she thinks he's the gardener and she says, where have they put him? And then he begins to talk to her. And then he says her name. And I don't know if there's something about it, something about that voice saying her name. Mary stops and turns again. And she says, Jesus, is it you? Is there something about Jesus saying her name that made her stop? And then, after a few verses later, there's Jesus seeking out Peter. Peter the church kid, Peter the hero, Peter the one that everybody thought was going to do great things for God someday, Peter who had run away in fear, Peter who had denied knowing Jesus three times, Peter who had finally returned to fishing because he thought this must be the end. And Jesus finds him and says, Peter, Peter, I'm still pursuing you because your failure, your sin, that's not the end. You see, because of Easter, sin is not the end. Because of Easter, sin is not the end. And we see this with both Mary and with Peter. Think of it, two different types of people. Mary, the outsider, who wondered if it was too good to be true. 
Mary, the, the outsider who had spent her whole life being cast away, being pushed aside. And then finally she found someone that brought her in and she thought, maybe this is right. And then she says, no, at some point this is all going to come crashing down, right? It's too good to be true. And on Friday, Mary thought the worst of her fears had come to pass. But on Sunday morning, she discovered that nothing about her past would be the end. Sin was no longer the end. Mary, the outsider who could do nothing right. Peter, the insider who could do nothing wrong. Peter, the church kid who everyone would come and kind of rub his head, I won't do that to you, and say, hey, you're going to do great things for God, Peter. I love, I love your zeal. I love your passion. He's like, yeah, you know it. Peter, who had fallen. Peter, who had failed. And it's to these two that Jesus came saying, listen, your sin is not the end. Imagine that it's these ones that become the carriers of that same forgiveness to others. It's these ones that get to announce. Listen, church, our job of announcing the the forgiveness of sins to others is so powerful because we are the ones whose sins have been forgiven. These are the ones who knew sin is not the end. And so they said, hey, we're going to keep telling this. We're going to keep spreading this because of Easter. Sin is not the end. But there's more. In our New Testament reading, we heard Paul say that Christ has been raised from the dead. And because of this, all of us shall one day experience this. We'll pick it up here in verse 23. He says, but each in his own order. Resurrection has a sequence. And he says, Christ the first fruits, And then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. When? At his coming. And he says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet and he says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Church, I want to tell you something. Death is an enemy. We need not put a happy face on this and say, oh, death is a friend. Death is graduation day. Death is, you know. No, Paul says you can call it the enemy. So long as you know that it's an enemy who has been destroyed and will be finally vanquished one day. Because of Easter, even death is not the end. Yes, there's coming a great day, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. There's coming a great day where the final victory over death will be realized, and we'll, we'll see resurrection for our own body, that there's coming that day. But that future and final defeat is assured because of Easter, because of the past defeat of death. See, it's worth saying that what happened to Jesus was very different than what happened to Lazarus. Sometimes we think, okay, Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, that's happened before, right? We've seen dead raisings, dead raisins. We've seen God do this. Right? Isn't this the same thing? No, it's not the same thing. Because Lazarus was resuscitated. Lazarus was brought back from the dead in his same body that would only die again. Jesus was resurrected. And you can feel these early stories of Jesus, these people, these men and women fumbling around for the words. They have no category for this. This is one of the things we talk about when people say, oh, well, the resurrection church, that's just made up sort of hero tales, right? No, listen, there was no pre-existing category for what they were trying to describe. 
They knew people seeing ghosts and visions, but they had no clue about it. And they knew someone coming back to life. But this, this was different. This was a Jesus who could all of a sudden appear in a room that was locked. They're saying, excuse me? First you scare me, then you say, do not be afraid. Peace to you. Stop scaring me. This is a Jesus who could do that. Yet a Jesus who had breakfast with them on the shore. Jesus who all of us who could eat and drink. And yet, this was him. They saw the wounds on his hands and his feet. And, his son. and yet, it takes a few of them some time to recognize him. Mary takes for a moment. The disciples on the road to Emmaus. There's something that's the same. And yet, there's something that's very different. This was something of a totally new category for them. Know how to place this. Resurrection means that death is no longer the end. I'm hesitant to admit to you that I've um, just started reading these books that were really popular works of fiction maybe 10 or 15 years ago, aimed at 11 year olds. And I never read them or saw the movies based on them, but I am now for the first time reading the Harry Potter books. And. I know, some of you take that either way. Some of you are going to be like, oh my goodness, I'll get an email about that. Others of you are like, cool. But there's a story in there in the second one where the villain has the power to open the chamber of secrets and out of it comes this serpent's figure, this massive serpent. And the serpent has the power to kill with just its eyes, just its glance. And in the final showdown... You see Harry running away from this thing, and then all of a sudden this bird appears and strikes the eyes of the serpent, cuts them, kind of, you know, puts them out. And now he can face it. Now he can face this thing. This is what I think of when I think of us and death. We're all going to face death one day, but its power has been taken away. Its power has been taken away. And now we can say, okay, death... Right, but you don't have any sting anymore. Death will not be the end. Imagine this getting a hold of the early Christians and Rome used to bullying people around by threatening death, used to having their way by threatening torture and death and them saying this, hey, listen, you need to recant. You can't say Jesus is Lord, Caesar is Lord, and you better change your tune or else. And the early Christians say something like, or else what? Or else we'll kill you. Okay, and the stories of Polycarp and all of these others going to their death because they know something has happened that has made death not even the end. Amen? And Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15. And he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable And we shall all be changed. He's saying, listen, on this final moment when Christ appears again, that's when we will be changed. And this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying. Now pay attention here for a moment. We say this verse all the time at funerals, but Paul says this isn't true now. This will be true one day. 
He says, then, 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 then when your perishable body puts on the imperishable, then you, it shall come to pass the saying that was written. We heard it in the Old Testament reading. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, church, because of Easter, even heaven is not the end. Because of Easter, even heaven is not the end. Now some of you think, whoa, wait a minute. I thought because of Easter, I can now fly away and go home to be with God. No, the good news is better than that. If we're talking about the final defeat of death, then defeat, defeating an enemy is not the same as escaping from it. Right? Imagine with me for a moment that your child is being bullied and the person is a real monster and the kid says, you just wait, my dad's coming at 3.30. And your dad comes and, the ki- and, and says, hey, son, quick, just get in the car. Let's get out of here. You're like, what? No, I just told him that you're coming. What do you mean, get in the car? Like, aren't you going to do something? He says, just can't get in the car. But that's what we act like, isn't it, sometimes? We think, oh, Easter, Easter is so awesome. Now we get to fly away? Does that feel like victory to you? Instead, what Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 15 is, you know what? This same Jesus whom God raised from the dead will come back and he's going to come back and reign. He's going to come back and conquer every enemy until they're all put under his feet, even death. And that's the moment that this body will be changed into new bodies. This earth will be made into a new earth. Now think of that. Because we don't see Jesus kind of leaving his shell in the tomb and then saying, hey guys, check out the 2.0 version I've got. (laughs) The hope of Easter is not that you're going to get the new bat suit or the new Iron Man armor. The hope of Easter is that this body will be transformed. This earth will be remade. This creation, you see Yahweh, the creator God who made this world, doesn't say, okay, oh, it's a mess, but hey, Jesus rose so we can get out of here and go over to my place. No, Yahweh, the creator God says, listen, because I raised Jesus from the dead, that means I'm going to fix it all one day. I'm going to set it all right one day. I'm going to make it all new one day. Now, if you have children, you know the difference between these two visions of hope. Because if you have a child who, who, whose toy breaks, and they're weeping and they're distraught because it's the end of the world, you can't say to them, you can't say to them, it's okay, I'll just buy you another doll. I'll just buy you another American Girl doll or whatever. I'll just buy you another truck. You can tell I have three daughters. I'll just buy you another... No, no, because even as children we know, I don't want something different. I want that fixed. And there is this yearning in us that says, God, look at this world. Look at the nations raging. Look at the, the, the wildness even of nature itself. God, would you fix this? And God, the, who, the God who raised Jesus from the dead is the God who says, just you wait. I'm going to make it all new one day. Because of Easter, sin is not the end. Because of Easter, death is not the end. And because of Easter, even heaven is not the end. What a marvelous hope. Our hope is not escape. Our hope is resurrection. Our hope is not evacuation. Our hope is not, woo, get out of here. Our hope is resurrection. Say, 
That sounds powerful, but, but what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my life? The miracle of Easter is that this powerful resurrection life that will one day make the world and the galaxies and all of it new, this life can be at work in you. You're like, wait, what? What? The same power that raised Christ from the dead can live in you. The same power that will one day overhaul the universe can overhaul you today. The same Spirit that will one day breathe and make it all new is the same Spirit that we receive. See, this is beautiful. John begins his Gospel with an echo of Genesis. He says, in the beginning... John kind of saying, I remember Genesis begins in the beginning. Look, I'm going to begin my story within the beginning. He's not just doing it as a technique. He means for us to see that just as Jesus was there at the beginning of the world, then at the end of John's gospel, he says, there's another new creation happening. And many of the same things are going on. He says, there's a new first day of the week, and it's resurrection day. And this risen Jesus appears to his disciples and says, receive the Spirit. The Spirit that in Genesis hovers over the waters, hovers over the darkness, brooding over the world uncreated. This Spirit is the Spirit that Jesus says, you know what? That Spirit, that creation Spirit, that life-giving Spirit, now receive it and let it do its work in you. Let it bring new creation in you. Let it come inside of you and transform you and make you new and wash you clean and set everything right again and put everything that was broken back together again. Let resurrection life begin in you. Now that's powerful. That doesn't mean, this isn't pixie dust. This doesn't mean, wow, all of a sudden everything about life works. No, but it means that there, there comes a hope inside of you that's unshakable. There comes a hope that says, no matter what, I know now this is not the end. I know now that my sin will not be the end, that death will not be the end, heaven will not be the end. I know now that my Redeemer lives. Amen? Amen. This resurrection life comes when we surrender our lives. When we turn it over. You know, self-reliance is the road that leads to death. The insistence on doing it our way, by ourselves, on our own, that's the way that leads to death. But surrender is the way that leads to life. It's a paradox, isn't it? We've been told, fight, try harder, stay alive. God says, actually, when you give it up is when you'll really live. But self-reliance is a tricky thing because self-reliance, we know it can look like rebellion. We know that. Oh, self-reliance, oh yeah, I get it. Like those hardened sinners who just insist on their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-reliance can look like rebellion, sure. But self-reliance can also look like religion. Self-reliance can look like saying, well, I come to church. I know how to dress. I know how to talk. I know these old hymns. I know these words. And it can creep into our hearts and we start to believe all of a sudden that we are the source of this life and we are not. 
And Easter is a wonderful day to say either for the first time or to say again, Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, I've got nothing left. I thank you that you are everything. Let the Spirit come and make me new again today. Amen.